When the pandemic swept across the country, sending the population into quarantine, time stood still. The effects on entertainment and marketing were immediate and permanent. Now, in the midst of societal change, it's time to focus on the future. As producers, creatives, and storytellers, we have the ability to be a vehicle for a voice. Vision 2021 bottles this moment in time while empowering people to embrace change and confidently move into the future. So, hang out. We're going to talk to some accomplished friends and colleagues and tell stories, provide some knowledge, and make some predictions. Next up, Anthony Morrow, creative director at HBO. Anthony has led the marketing behind several seasons of Game of Thrones. He's had a very accomplished career on several of the most popular series on TV, including Six Feet Under and more. Uh, it was nice to sit down with Anthony, learn more about his work and his vision on the future of marketing. I'm Carson Hood. I'm here with Anthony Morrow, creative director of HBO. Anthony, we'll dig into some of these interview questions. Let's just start with the general information. So question number one, you work for HBO, so I'll answer that for you. Yep. Your title is creative director, correct? Correct. How would you describe your role in job function? That's actually an interesting question. It's one of, and the one-worded answer would be varying, but that's what I love about it. You know, I'm aware of many different hats. Creative director, yes. I'm a manager, I'm a mentor, project manager, sometimes a director, sometimes a graphic designer. Sometimes I find myself doing interviews. But the one thing that I, I really enjoy the most is being able to push the creative on my team to take, you know, the, the nugget of an idea from one of my junior producers and help them work through it and, you know, help them get it to a place where it's seen and it's out in the world and I'm really pushing their creative to the next level and you know, get and see them grow. That's probably uh, you know, one of the favorite aspects of my job. Uh, how many years have you been with HBO? This December will mark uh, the 18 years, yeah, the 18 year anniversary of when I first stepped into uh, the, the doors as an intern back in um, December of two. I'm looking forward to hearing yeah. about that. What is the biggest project or campaign you've worked on? You've worked on some big ones. I mean, I, here at HBO, every, every the project you're on is the biggest project you're working. You know, the project you're currently working on is the biggest project you have. At the end of the day, the biggest project was uh, Game of Thrones. Is one of the very few producers who can honestly say they've been on it from the pilot to the very end. And uh, obviously, as we'll get into it, though, um, the final season for Game of Thrones was by far the biggest project and campaign that I've ever been a part of. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite project or campaign? Honestly, the the out of everything I've done for this company, still to this day, the favorite, my most favorite project that I've worked on was the Pacific. Ooh, the I follow like up miniseries, yeah, the follow up miniseries, the Band of Brothers. It's a good one. Any project you're working on now or that you're excited about that would you know you'd want to discuss or mention in any way? Well, I mean, I I literally just wrapped up um, promoting the launch of our new streaming service, HBO Max, and I'm definitely excited to be part of the the team helping create the culture around that. Um, and also, of course, is helping keeping uh, the franchise and legacy of Game of Thrones going. Any award that you've won that you would like to, to note? I'm not a big awards guy, but my work's won Emmys, Pro Maxes, New York Film Festivals, Webbies, Golden Trailers. I could go on, but I think that's, I think that's about the ones I'd highlight. What won the Emmy? Or do you remember the, uh, the category for the Emmy? No, I don't. My, you know, and to be clear, I don't, I, my work has won it. My name hasn't. Right. Okay. 
It was more of like yeah, an so HBO marketing. Exactly. You produced it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get to know you out of the way. So now we're going to start off with the, the interview questions. And so let's dive in. First of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, what drew you to working in the entertainment business? And how did you land a job at HBO? Um, it's actually really a long story. I'll try my best to make it short. To be absolutely honest, Carson, um, I had no desire to be in the entertainment industry or didn't really know much about it when I was going to school. I was uh, I was going to school at Kane University in Jersey. It's a state college there, and then my major was psychology. And um, it's a suitcase college, and on a Friday afternoon, I had nothing really going on, so I was living there. So I was walking, I forget to think to the cafeteria, and I saw a sign out in front of one of the auditoriums that said HBO Seminar. And uh, I, I stuck my head in there, and because it was a suitcase college, um, on Fridays and through the weekends, there wasn't that many people there. And in the auditorium, they could probably fit, you know, a couple hundred, six, seven hundred people. Uh, I think there's maybe four or five people in attendance. And the person on the stage welcomed me in, and I was just interacting with them. I had no interest in post-production or anything to that effect. And uh, because I was interacting with the speaker, and obviously he was speaking to a dead room, he just kind of gravitated towards me. And at the end of uh, the talk, um, I stuck around, I introduced myself, introduced himself as the senior vice president of uh, HBO Studio Productions at the time, his name was Dominic Ambrosio. And um, he had offered to uh, give me a tour of the studio because I had shown interest. And uh, he also was going to be teaching a student seminar and had some questions about his first time teaching. He had some questions about, you know, some pro tips on being a teacher and like what type of curriculum he was going to help create. And, you know, I didn't really think about it much. He put his kind of his business part aside and, you know, like a day or two later, it kind of dawned on me that just a missed opportunity to look into a new world. And that's the whole point of going to college to explore different career paths and wrote him an email. And the next thing I know, I was getting a tour of HSP, which is at the time was HBO Studio Productions. And um, I was absolutely blown away that people had whole whole entire careers and dedicated to literally just working and editing. And, and as the way I saw it, it was people getting paid to watch TV. Little did I know the reality <laughs> behind what we actually do. <laughs> yeah, but I was, that's amazing. I was, to- I was totally blown away that, you know, people were making a living off what I saw at that time as, as watching TV and didn't know a thing about marketing, didn't know a thing about AV, didn't know a thing about trailers. And uh, I kept in touch with Dominic, and long story short, I helped him take a course, design the course, and I took it. Obviously, it helped, since I helped eight, uh, design it, I aced it. And um, we kind of grew, you know, a friendship was grown there, and he offered me an internship um, to see if I wanted to pursue that, and um, I took it. And I started mid-December in 2002, and uh, HBO has been a part of my life ever since. Wow. I literally started you, working at HBO before I finished college. That's amazing. Do you remember, Did when you walked into HBO, I mean, did you realize kind of, the magnitude of the door that had just been opened for you. Do you was it did it occur to you in any way that like, hey, there's people trying to pound down this door and get in here, and here I am standing in the middle of it. I I no, I realized that about two days after I had his business card. You know, I just I just saw that as an opportunity, and then 
Yeah, I, I I wish I could remember that moment I first walked in, but I can tell you I I always took it very seriously, and I've always appreciated the opportunity that was given to me by Dominic. And um, you know that internship I started in December. I wasn't supposed to start in January. I convinced I convinced him to let me come in early so I can understand the lay of the land, so I could do my job effectively. And at that time, literally my internship because they, he wasn't giving interns internships out it was kind of like a made-up internship you know my, my gig was i think it was if i remember correctly it was like 6 p.m to midnight and at that time i was working in the digitizing suite and i was uprising sequences and that's what i was doing yeah. i was i was finding the tape i was getting the edl you were watching tv yeah. <laughs> no. no, I wasn't. I was staring at a very complicated and expensive deck that I had no idea how to control. What um, was going on? So now, I mean, flash forward almost two decades with the company, you've worked on some of the most iconic series in the history. Uh, so let's, let's name a few. Six Feet Under, The Sopranos, yep. The Wire. Yep. And you yep. mentioned the specific to me earlier, which I'm a fan of. And then, of course, eight seasons of Game of Thrones. Any highlights that come to mind? Yeah. Too many. <laughs> 18 years of memories just kind of like flash in front of me. Um, yeah. You know, just to list a couple, you know, my first actual on-set experience was I was helping out some of the more senior producers with a DVD extra shoot we were doing with The Sopranos called Supper of the Sopranos. So, like, literally that was my first on-set experience. And I was totally, uh, I totally just fell in love with that part of what we do, the whole on-set experience and directing and, and, you know, as a producer pushing the narrative and making sure they have the beats to talk about and helping shape that story. You know, that was one of my, that was one of the, my, first favorite memories and then still to this day my the very first promo that i ever cut that went out into the world i remember i delivered it on a tuesday and i came in i came from new jersey and i came out of penn station to see the promo i just delivered and at this time for some reason they were putting tvs on t-shirts and my promo was on these people's t-shirts standing in front of msg promoting the fight that weekend and like i remember seeing the promo i just made on these people's t-shirts that have the tv in it and uh just being like i made that in, in yeah. classic new york fashion yeah. nobody gave a fuck yeah it's hard to take um eight years of game of thrones experiences and make it into one but you know i got to travel the world you know anywhere from four to six months out of the year for um you know five out of the eight seasons of game of thrones and with that comes so many memories, so many. Because when you go on to a throne set, you know, we're not just shooting inside of an interior. We're shooting in these exotic locations. And, like, I just yeah. never would have gone through 90% of those places if it wasn't for that experience. But um, also, you know, when I was an intern, if you had told me I'd be spending a good part of five years of my life living in a city in Northern Ireland called Belfast, I never would have believed you. And if you told me, and still to say one of my favorite memories, it's not a memory, it's the fact that um, the people on my team out there in Northern Ireland are now my family. Um, mm -hmm. That is, is something, you know, I'm so glad I got to experience. And, and um, I don't even know if that's considered a memory. That's just such a unique experience. And I miss them. It is unique. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I want to know more uh, about that. Tell us about the process and what it's like to, to be in Belfast and, and further with that community that you, you gained there and built there with not only with the, with production and, and your HBO team and everybody, you know, what's it like on the set of Game of Thrones? Especially in, you know, from the early days when it was a new show to when you're there in the final season and it's big and there's a there's pressure on you at that point to what is that journey like and um you know how did the team come together and how did you kind of steer that shift well i mean to answer the very first part of your question what game of thrones did for belfast and the people of belfast and getting to watch that city grow and the industry grow um was was absolutely mind-blowing how fast and how big the filming industry in Belfast blew up. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't just because of Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones definitely helped. But it gave the artists and the grips and the spark, um, it gave them an outlet and it gave them the ability to prove that not only can they do it, but they could do it on a world-class level. And to uh, to have been a part of that and to... My job at that time was, with our BTS, was to tell the story of their hard work. And even though we pumped out hours of behind the scenes and making enough content to support every season, I honestly felt we've always failed to really let the viewers know how hard that crew works, how hard that city works, and how many lives that production touched and changed. Um, By far the hardest working crew I've ever worked with in TV. Um, Just absolutely amazing. And what it was like on set from day one to the final day. It was always, it takes a village to make it, or what's the, what's the, um, takes a village to raise a child, but it yeah. was, um, it, that's not the right saying, but it was a team effort. There, there, there is nothing to say about six to seven hundred people standing at four in the morning, um, in a rock quarry that's on the northern coast of Ireland in a hailstorm in the middle of January and everyone's smiling. There's no other crew out there that would do that. And it's because right. we knew the more pain that they, well, actually, I'm sorry, they knew the more pain, more blood and sweat they put into it, the better the product. And they were all doing it together for one cause. And I've never seen anything like that, especially stateside. It was absolutely amazing. And, uh, I miss that commodity. You know what I'm saying. Right. Um, yeah, commodity. Yeah. Commodity. Yeah. I miss that on a daily, daily basis. Um, absolutely yeah. just such a special time to be part of that family. Sure. Did you, did you have like your locals and your go-to, you know, did, was there the pub that everybody met up with after, after shooting and, and that sort of, uh, kind of family or, you know, uh, experience of hanging out with everybody? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, different people and different departments had their own places to go. I tended to stay on on another side of the city, and there's this quiet little pub I like to go to by myself. Because you know, the the hard thing about doing what I did and living on part of that set is, um, and being in Belfast is you work the production schedule, which is a 12-hour day, and then you'd go home and deal with your actual job, which is Mm -hmm. another six to seven hours worth of emails. So you know, when when you're working on set on the show, the biggest show in television. And your job is to, you know, handle the AV for it. It's a lot of work. And yeah. uh, I was working, you know, I'd be lucky to pull an 18-hour day. Like, that was a light day. But, um, right. 
Yeah, man. From, uh, you know, seeing the clowns like the Spaniard and a couple other places. Definitely went there and hung out with all of them. And, uh, when you're in the midst of that, when you're in the midst of an 18 hour day on the biggest show in the world, I can imagine there's probably no way of not feeling the pressure. Um, did you have any checks and balances and, you know, what, how are you constantly kind of measuring yourself to, to make sure that things are, are on point? There is really no checks and balances. I would just say it's just my drive. I'm never satisfied with anything I ever do. And I think that, that you know, is true for a lot of the people here at HBO in my department and uh, for creative. Um, I'm never really 100% satisfied. My cut could always be better. You know, my behind the scenes could be more in-depth. I could have, you know, pushed it to get that extra shot. Always challenging myself to outdo what I did last year or for the mm-hmm. last piece. That's my own personal checks and balances. As for HBO, you know, I know you're trying to tie this into another question. They're, they're, they're really, we trust our guts. Years of experience and we trust our guts. It's good creative, good storytelling and, you know, making sure that, you know, yeah, we're advertising and we're marketing, but at the end of the day, we're telling a good story and we're entertaining. Yeah. And, that leads me into your process because you've mentioned storytelling a number of times here and, and from working with you and I think anybody that's brushed up with HBO understands how important story is to everything that you do. Can you just tell us a little bit about your process just as a creative and kind of when you're on a new project, what's the first thing you kind of go to to begin getting the wheels turning and what does your process look like for marketing any of the series uh, you've worked on? Research understanding the story that the production is trying to tell and then doing my best to put myself in the shoes of the writers or the director and understand their vision. Um, I definitely think marketing should be an extension of the show that you're marketing. It shouldn't be two different completely elements. So trying to achieve that, but overall process, you know, a lot of people will always come and talk to you about think outside the box. Um, and then everyone rolls their eyes. But actually, I love the box. I, I search for the box. I welcome it. You know, and to me, that box is time, money, purpose, and material. And then once I understand that box, I then can use that process and that box to push the creative and understand the creative. How much time do I have to make this promo? How much money do I have to make this promo? I can do it for free, which is going to be a completely different thing. Or if you have $2 million, that's going to be a completely different thing. What's the purpose of this promo? What information am I trying to, you know, to let the consumer know? Where is this going to live? What's, what purpose does this promo serve? And then overall, like, what, what, what material do we have to work with? And that's my process is to search out those four things. And then once I understand the box, you know, we start trying to figure it out. And actually, and it's another cliche, but using the limitations of the box to push the creative is another really important thing. Because I work with some extremely creative individuals, and you can't come to us and say, hey, make a shoot promo for uh, Game of Thrones Season 8, because what's going to happen is, and, you know, he used to work there. His nickname was Million Dollar Mo, because he was a genius, one of the most creative people I ever knew. But Million Dollar Mo, and, you know, we're all guilty of it. By the time, if I didn't put them in a box, we'd be talking about dragons flying in and lighting things on fire. And, like, you know, um, we now have a, a $6 million idea when really right. the budget was only $350,000. So I welcome that box, and I probably think that's the most important thing I do. 
that I like that. That's really great information. Time, money, purpose, and material. You know, material with all of your series, not just Game of Thrones, but you know, it's it's a very sensitive thing to have. How do you approach your process and and doing so when the material is limited? When you're working with like pre air footage, you know, like on a Game of Thrones or like any of these series, you're going to have probably limited footage to to deal with. And so how are you thinking of using material or how do you get around the fact that maybe you don't have a lot of material to work with? I mean, I welcome those projects. At least you know what you have and then you can take it from there. You know, um, you know, one of the biggest problems we would have on Game of Thrones is we would have 90 interviews and we'd have a wealth of riches, which usually isn't the case. And it actually becomes harder to pick what soundbite you want to use when you have 10 different people saying the same thing. So I'd much mm-hmm. rather have one action shot where I know where that action shot can go. Once again, it just comes down to knowing the box. I'm never scared of, you know, having a handful of you know, material, you just have to be realistic with the expectations as well. But there is no, like, there is no, like, plug-and-play process just because we have limited material. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question there, Carson. I understand no, that's good. That, no, no, that, that, yeah, it does. That, it does. I never see just, oh, we only have 15 dailies. I don't really see that as a hurdle. You know, that's just what we have, mm-hmm. and we'll make it work. Right. And I think that that's what makes you good at your job. You're just uh, rolling with it, you know? Have mm-hmm. to use what 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 is given to you. So, kind of moving on and moving into today and where we stand um, in 2020. You know, when the pandemic began, what was the first thing you remember as being the sign that things were going to be different moving forward? Honestly, the the, the moment was because we got we got the the heads up. The email came out to us that we were not to go back into the office that next day. I believe it was a Tuesday night at like 11:30 at night. My team was fully up and running, and back to and my team. You know, my team is is uh, writer uh, predators. Um, there's about 15 of us, and uh, actually, I'm sorry, there's nine of us. And uh, my team, which is one of seven, we were up and running within 24 hours, if not less. Honestly, I think we were all fully cutting the next day. Um, And I think that's a testament to HBO's marketing, um, the media management team, um, the PSS team, and the operations team at HBO had these systems in place for us and had tested them. Uh, You know, James Copeland and Ben Jinta um, deserve, and RJ Kane deserve a lot of props. They were able to, and they, you know, our post-production facility, that what they manage is more than just HBO Creative Services. There's a ton of there's a ton and ton of other niches and departments that use what we do, and they had us up and going. With we didn't miss a beat, and I would say about two three days after that, when I noticed not only are we not missing a beat, not only are we not going to miss any deadlines, but oh my God, I think we might actually be more productive mm-hmm. this way. Yeah, um, uh, that's when I knew. Um, that's when I knew that the way we work in our industry is going to change. Yeah, agree. And so now, thinking about how will that change, or how will this process, we think, affect uh, the ability to market a series as, as big of as Game of Thrones, maybe? 
hit, will it, do you think? Do you think this will limit the ability to have all the behind the scenes footage and, you know, how do you, do you think this will affect large series marketing? Short term, yes, I, I do. Um, but, you know, I don't think, I don't think this situation is here to stay. I think we'll, we'll come together as a, as a world community and we'll pull through. And, um, to an extent, I think it's, it's changed the way we work. Um, but do I think it's going to forever mark and forever change human interaction and our ability to go on set? No, I don't. I, I think, you know, it's going to take some time, but I think yeah. we'll eventually get back to somewhat of a lifestyle that we are somewhat used to. Maybe we aren't shaking hands and hugging everyone and, and maybe the world of cubicle farms and open workspaces, maybe th- that will dissipate. But no, I, I yeah. think to an extent, on a smaller scale, things might change. But we will eventually get back to where we were, especially when it comes to large-scale productions. Because at the end of the day, what's a, what's a four- or five-person BTS team compared to the, the thousand people it would take to make a Game of Thrones on set every day? Right. You know, what within your team, or you think you're getting some process or workflow or, you know, maybe habits that, that'll stay? Besides Zoom happy hours that Friday? I, I, <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, no, not really. There's nothing, there's, I don't want to say it's nothing new because it's all new because nobody's used to doing this. Yeah. Um, but the overall process, what we're doing, we're still editing, we're still being creative. Um, I think if anything, we're going out of our way to make sure we're still being social, we're still doing, you know, we're still, I don't want to say forming a team, we're still going out of our way to be part of each other's daily routine. Because, yeah. you know, working from home, especially editing working from home, you're very siloed. So, you know, doing my best to reach out to my team, talk to my team, you know, if not every other day, every day and making sure that, you know, they know they're supported and that they're part of a bigger picture. So you you also talked about earlier, I know you've been working hard on HBO Max. It's been exciting to see that, you know, come into the world. How does streaming or your process, you have what sounds like to be a pretty buttoned-up way of approaching your projects? I'm going to focus on the box, time, money, purpose, material. Does that change any way, being that this is now going to be streaming on demand or not at all? When you're producing all your content and you're going through your process, you're, let's, let's use the, all the BTS uh, spots as one. You know, those are going to live where, like digitally, on they're going to they've always lived on you know the platform. They've lived online and linear or, or on TV and linear digitally, maybe social channels. Now that I feel like the focus for many viewers and for uh, those of us in the industry is primarily on the OTT platform, so for Mac, does it change the way you think about things at all or, or no? I mean, yes and no. That's actually really interesting is when we're trying to figure out what plays, what do people want to watch. I mean, at the end of the mm-hmm. day, you know, when we're conceptualizing and trying to figure out what type of extra content we're going to create to support the show, we always have to ask ourselves, is that worth the click? Because um, there's nothing worse than clicking on the video and it ending mm-hmm. and you literally wishing for your time back. That's actually the exact opposite um, feeling we want to give the viewers. So we always ask ourselves, 
Is it worth the click? But, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're here to be marketers. We're here to advertise. But really, nobody wants to be advertised to. Nobody wants to be marketed to. They just want to be entertained. So is there a way we can tell the story we want to help support the show? As I was talking about earlier, I definitely really do believe that marketing should be an extension of the show itself. Is there a way for us to use extra content as an arm or branch of the narrative from the show? Um, and those are all things that we're I'm a big fan of, or I would say I'm, I'm interested in transmedia storytelling. And you've mentioned that a couple of times of the marketing being an extension of the story you're trying to tell. Are you a curious person? Are you, you know, on social media checking out how these apps work and kind of always keeping yourself familiar with new technologies and kind of new ways people are consuming content or do you kind of leave that to your team or to just a strategy or research or even the media guy? My job is to be fully aware of all the different types of platforms that our AV content lives on. To a bigger point though, it's more important for me to have used all those platforms because I need to understand how the viewer um, digests the videos on that platform and understands how they consume it all and what works and what doesn't work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's multiple different social platforms that we put our content onto and um, there's techniques for each platform. But at the end of the day, it's still our job to make great content and tell great stories. We just need to kind of tweak it for each one. But kind of like what I was saying, you got to know the platform yeah. and the destination for all of your work. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, you need to understand the consumption habits for each platform, and then you need to create specific content for that medium. At the end of the day, though, I do really believe, and this is coming back from someone who's been doing this for a long time, but the day is that universal 30-second spot, that day is gone. You know, the 30-second mm-hmm. spot is dead. That, that doesn't, you don't make a 30-second spot for your TV show and then put it everywhere because that 30-second spot isn't going to play correctly in your off-channel bias that plays on Instagram as it will never play on TikTok. And that's something, if you're not already doing, then you should be doing because there isn't that one-size-fits-all when it comes to the promo world anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you enjoy that? Do you enjoy that the technology and the social platforms and ability to reach consumers is constantly changing and, and kind of keeping you on your toes? Is that, is that a part of the job you enjoy? Yeah, absolutely. Um this job and it's one of the things I love the most about it, it's constantly changing from the way we film to the way we edit to um, the platforms it, it goes on to. The, I mean, as old as it is, but like as old as I am, like I still remember three quarters tapes and I still remember one like, you know, we're like, we're going to high definition as it's like, I remember like that's the future. And <laughs> it's um, yeah. this job is constantly changing from, the technology we use to the platforms our content lives on and being in this industry long enough, if you don't keep up with it, you will be left behind. And it yeah. is a job within the job to understanding sure. how this industry is constantly evolving. And if you're not on the forefront of that, you know, that's not a, that's not a good place to be Carson. Yeah. You know, it's funny because you had mentioned at the beginning of this, uh, that, Time that you got out, uh, got off the train at uh, Penn Station, and there's you know brand ambassadors uh, out there with TVs on their T-shirts showing your cut. 
Now you wake up, you open your phone, and there's millions of people seeing your cut on Twitter. That's got to be that's got to be quite a feeling. How does it feel to know that like millions of people are watching your work? I don't think about it. I think you know we have a really massive pipeline for our content. Um, you know, any one of our promos, not only on a domestic scale but on a completely international, worldwide scale. There's a lot of people who look at any one of our pieces that come out of uh, my department. I try, it's always there, and I think that's a big um, driving factor um, to help push excellence in our department. But I try not to think about it. That's some, it's some real nerve-wracking stuff mm-hmm. when, yeah. when you get down to it. And, like, I, you just don't want to live in that world of negativity and fear when, uh, yeah. you know, you're, try, you're trying just to be open and creative. But um, there, there are there are some very few few moments when it's undeniable, and it's actually one thing I didn't get to talk to you about. It's actually one of my favorite moments is for the final trailer we made for Thrones when we put it out there. You know, watching the hits come, of course, with any with anyone who does what I do with making trailers. Of course, you're watching the view count grow. But the one thing that really took me by surprise was the reaction videos, and then. Mm. Um, watching like the super cuts of those. And I remember there was one with like, it had like 40 or 50 reaction videos synced up in once and being able to watch other people watch your work for the first time like that. That's a moment and that's a feeling I'll never forget. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. A little bit nerve wracking, but awesome at the same time. Right. Um, Yeah. And then, you know, being puzzled when people were, you know, you know, obviously when you're, you're creating a trailer, there, there, there are the moments where you want the people to scream and cheer and the other ones where they, they, they suck in their breath and they go, ah! but, you know, I was really surprised about what some of the other people pointed out and the things we put in there for the fans. And, uh, yeah, it just it was such an amazing experience. It really was. Yeah. What are you excited about or most excited about moving forward? I mean, my time on the Pacific. And you asked me what my favorite campaign was, and it was the Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, it really were. I, I had a mentor, Eric Council, who who really taught me the, uh, and, and pushed me to tell the best story I possibly could. And it was my job on that campaign to uh, do the bonus features for the Blu-ray, where we were taking the raw interviews from the vets and syncing it up to the episode. And and you got to watch the episode in the picture-in-picture environment. You saw the episode in the picture-in-picture, but really the focus was in on the vet telling you the real story behind it. And that feeling of telling such an, an amazing story and such a heart-wrenching story of those vets, topped with being honored and gifted the ability to kind of let them be able to speak their story on such a massive scale um, was life-changing to me. And, you know, I, we handle all AVSS for any campaign that runs through HBO. And still to this day, long-form content is still by far my favorite because it really allows us to kind of tell a story. And, you know, when I was back in, in college, one of the main things why I decided to go down this road is because I love I love telling stories. It's just something that uh, has been handed down to me from my father, and um, I, I love telling stories. And I've gotten really good at telling stories and six seconds, 15 seconds, 30 seconds spots. But when you give me a half an hour or you say, hey, it's on the DVD, have as long as you want, 
to me, that's the most amazing point. Um, and what I'm most excited about is watching the technology change and watching how we're going to be able to change the way we, st- we tell stories. And that's what I get most excited about. AR, VR, second screen companions, interactive streaming devices, and how that's great for the productions and the storytellers on that side, but also in our world, how we can kind of really take that to take marketing to the next level. You know, I said it before, nobody wants to be marketed to, but everybody wants to be entertained. So mm-hmm. why not why not push the boundaries of this technology, see how we can change the way we tell stories. I completely agree. As I mentioned earlier, about I, I get very excited about the ability to tell stories uh, through multiple platforms and building out the strategy and then thinking about each part of that story, how it's going to live on that platform and what and how they all tie back. So I'm aligned with you there. I want to know, do you have a favorite story? It doesn't have to be one you've worked on, just... You know, you you sound like you have a long history uh, of growing up listening to stories. Um, is there one that that, you, that stands out? <laughs> um, uh, that, that's a question, Carson. I know um, that is a question. I caught me off guard with that one. I I don't not one that pops ahead or one that I'm being li- willing to share to the public. Well, you can follow up with me if one comes to mind. Let me know. We'll do. All right. Final thoughts and predictions on the future. You know, part of Vision 2021 is focusing on the future and how the pandemic and really just this whole year with everything that's going on will shape the future of entertainment, of marketing. Do you have any bold predictions that you would like to share? We can kind of bottle up and uh, check back in on a little later down the road. (laughs) Subscribe to HBO Max and find out. Um, bold predictions. Yeah, I mean, honestly, my bold prediction is this: is this is a really, really rough time for anyone in this industry. And um, you know, my my bold prediction is that this will come and go, and you know, it will forever change the landscape we work in, but not that drastically. And I just kind of want to give a sense of hope to everyone else that's out there is listening to this that. Um, this world is, is crazy and dark and it's ugly right now, but there's a lot of hope. And I, I think, you know, we are going to get back to the pace in the world that we knew. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a better place. I think I think we're going to get a little bit more flexibility in where and how we work. I think a lot of, of barriers can be broken down and I'm excited about new talent and all that. So, yeah, that, that that's my message is that, I love that. you know, chances. Change is coming, but it's good, and we just need to hang in there and wear your mask. I love that. God damn it. Wear, wear your mask. mask. <laughs> no, I really I really appreciate you saying that because that is, again, part of what it, I hope whatever little bit we can do here with, with this project is give a little bit of hope out there that, you know, it's a hard time, but there's some silver linings within all this, and uh, hopefully we're, we're sharing that. So. That, that is a perfect segue into our bonus questions, which the first one being any charities, organizations, or otherwise that you'd like to mention or bring attention to in the effort for uh, racial equality. I saw this question, and it made me feel horrible for not knowing the answer. And um, my answer to this is I challenge everyone who, who has that same answer as me to go out and find one 
to know that answer because I'm ashamed I don't. A perfectly great answer. Appreciate that honesty. Um, for those in the job market, any suggestions or platforms you would recommend or to help these people find a new home? Yeah, I, in this new world, life technology's made life very easy, and you can sit there and create a resume, and it, within a couple hours, have sent it out to a couple hundred companies. You know, wipe your hands and walk away and say, "I've done my job." But don't rely on that platform. If there's something you really want to go do, go out and get it. And I know people might be rolling their eyes and saying that, but, like, when I'm hiring someone, I get a 1,000 resumes. But when a friend calls me up and says, hey, I got someone you should talk to, guess who my first call is going to be? So my suggestion to you is don't rely on a platform. Rely on your network. If you don't have a network, go out and make one. That's the only way you're going to survive out in this field is the people you know and it's a network you grow. But the most important thing is the work that you do, because that's going to speak the most about you. And if you're not doing great work, then your network's not going to represent you. And so create a network, push the boundaries of what you can do, let your network know, and just don't be lazy about, oh, I applied to a job on LinkedIn, no one got back to me. Go out and force the conversation. I appreciate that because I, I think I would agree with a lot of that of going out and getting it and, you know, you are the master of your own future sort of sort of thing. Like, if it's not there, if you can't find it, go build it. And so um, I appreciate and, that very much. Yeah, and like, look, I'm, I'm, it's taken me 18 years of the most in, uh, insanely hard work. I've given up a lot to get where I'm at. You know, to be part of something like Game of Thrones, there's a lot of sacrifice that goes into that. You know, in, in that less, little bit less than 10 year stretch, you know, half of that was spent not even in this continent, you know, and success isn't going to come easy. Sacrifice and hard work are the keys to success. And like, oh my God, I sound like my dad. But you know what? <laughs> he was right. He was right. Yeah. And like, if you want it, you got to go bust your ass. So get to it, guys. Get to it. <laughs> Well, I have very much enjoyed uh, this. Thank you for taking the time, and I know I kept you past when you needed to take a break, so uh, I really greatly appreciate that. Any final thoughts or things you'd like to add? No, I think that's about it. Thank well, you thank good. you for participating in Vision 2021. Oh, thanks for the opportunity, Carson. Mm-hmm.